1: Hello, this is Vershawn Young, host of New Books in African American Studies, the interview series where authors of African American life, arts, culture, and sciences discuss their new books. Today, I'll be speaking with Jafari S. Allen. Assistant Professor of African-American Studies and Anthropology at Yale University and author of the provocative new ethnography, Vinceremos, The Erotics of Black Self-Making in Cuba, published by Duke University Press this year, 2011. I'm sure you'll enjoy this lively interview and enjoy reading the book. Listen in.
2: Hello, Jafari. Hi, Vishant, How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Today we're speaking with Jafari S. Allen, Assistant Professor of African American Studies and Anthropology at Yale University, and author of a meticulously researched and exquisitely theorized ethnography that we're featuring today. It's called Vinceremos, The Erotics of Black Self-Making in Cuba. It's published by Duke University Press in 2011. Vinceremos, Alan explains, in the opening pages is a political expression, meaning we shall overcome. This certainly resonates with the black U.S. experience in the civil rights movement and, if we think about it, contemporary politics with such slogans as, yes, we can. Alan, however, minds the politics or... Interstitial terrain of gender, class, and sexuality, which makes this book a quite provocative read. I've read it, and I recommend it to all of our listeners. So we're happy to have Jafari with us today. Jafari, would you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, first,
0: thank you, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your your very kind introduction. As you as you mentioned, I'm, I teach in the departments of African American Studies and anthropology at Yale, and I'm also uh, a faculty at the Women, and Gen- Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies and Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Trans Studies here at Yale. And those sort of uh, locations really, I think, express uh, who I am intellectually and where this uh, where this book comes in, that is that it is interdisciplinary and it is grounded in Black feminist and uh, critical uh, critical race theory, but also, um, as you mentioned, it is an ethnography, a critical ethnography, and so here I'm really concerned about uh, expressing uh, some of what I experienced on the ground with my respondents and friends in Cuba over the, the many years that I uh, researched uh, in Santiago and uh, mostly in Havana, Cuba.
2: Mm-hmm. so how did you come to write this book? How did this project uh come to you? well uh
0: this is a uh a a huge uh, revision of my my dissertation, and my dissertation was an exploration of black masculinity in Cuba or I should say black masculinities in Cuba. My first idea for a dissertation project was comparative masculinities between. Uh, Brazil, uh, Brazil, Cuba, and the U.S. And my advisor, Sherry Ortner, was was smart enough to uh, to tell me the first week of graduate school that I ought to just pick one. Uh, and by that time, I had already spent uh, spent the summer in Cuba doing doing a language program and had fallen in love with with Cuba. And so the book comes out of uh, going back to Cuba to uh, Re-engage my, uh re-engage my respondents, and to think again about uh, how masculinity uh, intersected with, articulated to uh, larger, uh, larger things going on in Cuba. And I learned during uh, my dissertation defense. Uh, that, you know, what the dissertation was really about or what the book should be about. And so I really owe a great deal of thanks to Robin Kelly and Stephen, uh, Stephen Gregory and Sherry Ortner and Nadine Fernandez and uh, Carol Vance for telling me what the book was about. And and I remember specifically Stephen saying uh, that the, this book is about the special period. And the special period in time times of peace, of course, is that period in Cuban history right after the fall of the Soviet Union um, in which uh, the, there were tremendous economic difficulties, but also, as I argue in the book, there were uh, tremendous uh, sort of moral and uh, effectual and all sorts of other changes on the ground that my respondents were going through in very small ways uh, that I attended to in my research for for this book, and so that's the you know the the, the recent history of of the book, but it's a deeper history really, and, and goes back to uh, my upbringing uh, with a father who was always uh, always concerned to tell me about uh, the fact that there are black people all over the world. Uh, and that we ought to be we ought to be concerned with and connected to those uh those people all over the world, and he was especially interested in Cuba as were a lot of uh black people of his generation because of the claims uh that uh, Fidel Castro and the revolution had made about sort of solving the problem of racism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so Cuba represents uh for many black people and for many people who uh consider themselves or their, their groups downtrodden or oppressed by for example <laughs> the u s state or multinational corporations et cetera represents opposition and uh I was fascinated by uh by Cuba because of uh hearing stories from from my father from when i was I was very
2: young mm mm-hmm. Before we get into talking about the particular chapters in the book, I want to spend a little bit more time talking about uh, some of the things that you open up so beautifully in the introduction, the way in which um, there's a set of contradictions about um, some... freedoms in in Cuba that some black people experienced, but yet also held back. I mean the ti- the very title um Vincent Amos sort of uh uh alludes to that, um that, that still struggle. But I wanna throw two other things out here right away. Uh that the set of contradictions and what that might um yield for or help explain in a US context as well. Hmm. And then um uh, the other thing is that you're pushing a certain kind of boundary throughout this book when you talk about um, gender. When you privilege gender, and you do talk about sexuality. That, that, that becomes very clear. Um, but in the beginning of the book, you, you, you state a reason why you foreground gender, um, uh, and you say that it is the failure to perform the script's the strict scripts, in this case, masculinity, um, right. and the attributes and rights um, that is itself classed and raced, and so that's that's pushing the boundaries, I think, of sexuality studies and queer studies um, a little bit, which you which you also talk about. So, can you respond to those two things?
0: Yeah, I and I'm I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that those uh, that those uh, those things come come out. Uh, at least for you in in the introduction, because it it really it really does. I, I'm really trying to uh, set for the reader what my intentions are and where I'm where I'm coming from here. And I think that it, it may be one can say that it's pushing the boundaries to say uh, to sort of I don't know if I privilege gender, but but to talk about how important. Uh, gender is even when we think about sexuality. It's really perhaps um, a feminist sensibility that insists on, uh, or, or I would say a Black feminist sensibility that insists on looking at the intersections of these of these positions,
3: mm-hmm. right?
0: And it is perhaps controversial in sexuality studies. Many uh, many sexuality scholars, or scholars of sexualities. Uh, want to bracket sexuality as a a separate, discrete category of experience? Yet, uh, as an ethnographer, first I have to recognize that what my respondents uh, experienced and what I saw was something that that requires and and both requires a sort of wait wait let's look more closely at what's happening on the ground before we um before we move to the space of of bracketing sexuality in that way and that is and i argue in the book that while uh this notion of homophobia means one thing uh in in a u.s context or while for example uh we find that uh let me let me back up here and talk about the the law of dangerousness <laughs> and I, I think I, I talk about that later in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh and about these sort of public performances mm-hmm. of gender. Right? So while in and we we, we find this in, in various places in the Caribbean, for example, that uh for example uh buggery laws or laws Outlawing, uh, outlawing homosex in various uh, English-speaking uh, islands. And, uh, for example, uh, in the Dominican Republic and in Cuba, homosex is not outlawed. And what I what I heard from my respondents was that it's pretty well understood that boys experiment Sexually with boys or have sex with boys. One of my respondents joked that uh, everyone on his block played sex uh, when they were uh, when they were young, and he just never grew out of it. Uh, but when he told me that story, uh, what he what he was recounting for me was the the ways in which having sex with men was not was not the uh, was not the scandal. The scandal was walking out in the street uh, and walking in a way where somebody might call you a marigón, uh, a fag, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: or sitting in a way that was not appropriate,
3: mm-hmm. or
0: not, or, or having a voice so high or not, uh, not being manly in various ways.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would argue that uh, even in the context of the U.S. That that is also something that we have to pay close attention to. That what in, in many cases what we are talking about in terms of the scandal of sexuality, is really the scandal, of uh, the, the scandal of of gender performance.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, trans uh, transgender study scholars are beginning to uh, be beginning to show us this and really important and startling important and startling ways, but we need look no further than the sort of uh, the everyday uh, everyday examples of gay and lesbian culture and people in in popular culture
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: to see that uh, this move toward normalcy, sort of a, a gay man or a lesbian who looks just like you and I, who acts just like you and I, uh, who just wants to get married, just like you and I, and have a white picket fence, just like you and I? So it's it's, it's, it's again about a particular sort of uh, uh, normalcy mm-hmm. um, that is not not so much imagining what people are doing um, in the bedroom, mm-hmm. or the living room, or the kitchen, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate that point um, in the book um, for slightly um, selfish reasons, probably because. Um, I, did, I didn't tell you in our pre-interview conversation that uh, I'm working on a, on a manuscript in which your manuscript, your book, um, helped illuminate some some ideas uh, for me. And the title of it is, is um, Straight Black Queers, Gender yeah. Anxiety and the American Dream. And and just as an aside, um, in relation to what, what you were just saying, what I'm trying to do is shift the boundaries to pay attention to this very phenomenon by looking at um, ostensibly straight individuals who are um, read as um, gay, like Barack Obama, for instance, or Tyler Perry, um, and and what that means for the larger context of um, compulsory heterosexuality or compulsory homosexuality when it's raced. This right. this um, brings me to a, a question for you about. Something that you you make very explicit, and you say that that um, race impacts the categories of gender and sexuality in That's, very particular ways. Can you say more about that and how that informs the theorizing in the book?
0: Right. Right. One of the things, just in, in your case, in, in in your book talking about the U.S., it's important to think about what is it that makes uh, that makes these straight or ostensibly straight individuals seem kind of gay right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in my, in, in my experience in the US because I haven't done this, this research but of course you can, we, can, we can see it through literature and, and film and everyday, everyday life that it has a lot to do with uh, it has a lot to do with class the way someone speaks etc right so that if, if you're called soft right soft means what does soft mean? Soft means that you speak in uh, you speak in standard American English. Mm-hmm. Soft means that you uh, that you stand in a particular way. You know, we know from Braille that there are these notions of bodily hexis, the way that someone or habitus, the way that someone walks into a room, the way that someone sits, the way that someone looks at another person. All of this is being all of this is being read. All of this is, information is coming. At the same time, right, mm-hmm. and so we mm-hmm. can't separate we can't separate race from gender from from sexuality. What we think of sexuality when we see someone when they walk in a room, and in Cuba, this is uh, this happens as well. So, for example, um, and <laughs> for example, uh, the last my last visit uh, my last visit to Cuba last November, uh, while I was on leave, I was there for for an extended visit and uh the la- I saw a friend who i hadn't seen in, in maybe two years, and um, he immediately he said uh, uh, i am Negron, and negron <laughs> is a word that is not just negro right it is a big black man mm-hmm. and he said that to uh to signify in the fact that I had gained several pounds since the last time we uh, uh we saw each other but that notion of Negron, of a big black man, comes with a number of a, a number of sexualized and historical, uh, with with historical and sexual valence, mm-hmm. right? So to say big black man is not to say uh, big black man who uh, who studies anthropology, right? Big black man comes with with other sorts of things that. We all under everyone in the room understood mm-hmm. uh, when when he said that right mm-hmm. and so to uh, to be read through a history of of being sexual chattel of being uh a, an unpaid worker of being some of of a, a history of being disallowed and, uh Participating in, in higher education, right? A history of African religion that mm-hmm. is embodied and that is scary, perhaps, to those who uh, those who are are uninitiated. All of this um, goes into the way that, that people uh, that people are read as as sexual as sexual beings. And as intellectual beings, and as revolutionaries, right? And so one of the one of the main questions for my respondents, who were uh, who, are, who are now in their in, in their 70s, I mentioned that one of the, one of the hard parts for people who were young at the the moment of the triumph of the revolution mm-hmm. in 1959 is how to be a revolutionary, how to be a new man that new man being uh of course uh an atheist and that new man being disciplined and that new man uh being someone who was going to defend the nation and also uh later on uh maybe toward the seventies with the with the advent of the family code and understandings of of gender that that sought to uh that sought to supplant a particular form of what people thought of as, as machismo. How to be a, a new man in terms of uh, being equitable, being, uh, being an equitable partner with women. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you do that if the image, if the, the controlling image of blackness is one of someone who is insolent, who is out dancing or in ceremony for hours or someone who is uh whose body is uh is represented as as always having sex or working
2: mhm mhm those same set of questions um seem to come up when we think about uh the the um latter part of the civil rights movement and particularly you know the black power and black arts movement in the US. Absolutely. Are there resonances?
0: There are there are absolutely resonances uh resonances here. And this is why, you know, I think of I think of my work as a even though it is it is uh it is based in Cuba and uh this is a this is a, a work about Cuba, it is just as much a diasporic work because there are resonances all over the all over the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the resonances is it, that the image and Robin Kelly does a great job of of talking about this in, in Race Rebels, of course, that during the the latter part of the civil rights movement, the strategy was to show clean, unsexed, Christian, upstanding, uh, upstanding
3: black people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I often you know I often you know ask my my students you know what show them pictures of. Of these these beautiful uh, these beautiful upstanding black people on the on uh, protesting you know women in 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 hats and white gloves and mm-hmm, pumps mm-hmm. walking for miles on, mm-hmm. you know on the Pettus Bridge wearing a a black suit and 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 uh, black suit and black tie shine shoes to face dogs what work does that do the work that it that it does and the work that it did was to present a an, an uber respectable subject how can you deny rights to uh, to these respectable upstanding subjects mm-hmm. we are not uh we are we are not the um we are not the partying juke joint unemployed bad black people uh or colored people or whatever Word that that they might use that you might imagine, we are upstanding Christians demanding our rights to um, uh, to this piece of the the American pie. Mm-hmm. Right? One and of th- one of the things that that Robin uh, points out though is that at the same time there were people who were too tired uh, from being at the juke joint all night to get up and put on <laughs> put on a dress and a hat to go, and they had other ways of. Resisting, right, right, um, which don't always get publicized.
2: Mm-hmm, which which mm-hmm. his
0: work, uh, which his work, and then the work of, of of Kathy Cohen, of course, tries to push us in the direction of looking at what people uh, who are not the ideal subjects of um, the, the ideal subjects for rights, uh, what they were doing and how they resist. And this is this is some of what what I try to do in, in my work also.
2: Yes, I was just getting ready to say that because that comes uh, through uh, exceedingly clear that um, and I'm going to try to try to summarize it. And you um, correct me after I do this, this reduction. Um, it seems that uh some performances and some profiles are aligned with a set of um, a, a set of privileges that uh, have that were opened up um, for um, Afro-Cubans during a certain period of time. But then there were other um, hidden or um, subjugated uh, performances, which I'm going to call uh, queer after your use of the term. Which is connected to, but also in some ways enlarged from um, sexuality. I think you have a footnote to this regard, um, and that now, uh, uh, seeking a larger freedom to reference another of your terms means looking at these and uh, subjugated positionalities and uh, seeing how they um, uh, challenge. The um, hegemony that's still in place,
0: mm-hmm. right? This this is one of the you know, and that larger freedom I I, I borrowed from Kofi Annan. Um, and the reason I I use that term is that it seemed to me, uh, listening to my respondents and watching watching what was happening what was happening in the moment and reading back through his uh, through Cuban history, is that at this moment, Cubans, of course, uh, enjoy uh, enjoy free education, postgraduate education uh, from preschool to postgraduate. They enjoy healthcare. They enjoy you know, a, a lot of a lot of things that many people around the world would would really want. Now, the contradiction we talked about contradictions before
2: mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that
0: there are tremendous limits placed on <laughs> placed on. Each of these, uh, since have been since the uh, since the special period. My colleague uh, Sean Brotherton writes about the medical uh, uh, the medical establishment in Cuba, and one of the things that is very easy to see, for example, and I saw this up close going to uh, doctors' appointments with some of my respondents and friends, is that even though uh, even though the ratio of doctors to to patients in Cuba is twenty to one, which is, which is the the best ratio any, anywhere in the uh, anywhere in the Americas. Once you get there, there may not be there may not be or likely there's likely. Uh, it's likely that there won't be adequate medicine for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you go down the road to a hospital where foreigners, including people from the U.S., are going for cutting edge treatments for, for cancer, for example. Uh, those places are really very well outfitted, and so again you know here we 're back to the the contradiction um, that you that you mentioned earlier, but in terms of a, of a larger freedom, what uh, what my respondents uh, seem to be looking for and asking for is not not only uh, the economic rights that Cubans have and the social rights that uh, that North Americans are seen to enjoy—that is, freedom of expression and freedom of uh, freedom of association—you know—to join groups, have organizations, to say whatever you say whatever you want in any medium you like. Uh, they want both, and they want uh, they want this full expression of of their of of their humanity. Mm-hmm. Which is something that we see in Marx and Engels, for example. And we also see and uh we also see in the liberal uh the liberal philosophies of 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 the United States um and even before that in, in Locke and Rousseau, etc. right? Mm-hmm. So it is not a matter of uh what people can simplistic sometimes simplistically see as a communist or a capitalist sort of um uh, sort of dichotomy uh people are saying in this current moment that there is there's no reason that it can't be an and both situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so theoretically this and both is is you know very related for me to uh to black feminisms, which uh Comes at a time or emerges at a time in the late 70s and early 80s, um, in in which the movements of the U.S. Uh, movements that is uh, Black Power movement, civil rights movements, uh, the women's uh, women's liberation movement seemed to be at that time either winding down or in serious trouble or had already failed.
3: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, and so this was a moment in which uh, these uh, theorists and artists and activists uh, imagined something more than what was, uh, than, than what was being offered. Mm-hmm. And here, again, we go back to my title, Venceremos, that Venceremos for Cubans is, um, is expressed with an exclamation point always. Mm-hmm. Venceremos, we will win. We will overcome. Right, um, and at this point there is um there is a serious question about how we'll overcome or whether we will even overcome and so in sort of playing with uh with Spanish grammar and punctuation, my title has both an exclamation point uh at the, in the front um as is the standard, but at the end, there is a question mark. Uh, mm -hmm. That is that there's this and both that the vision for a larger freedom says, yes, we must win. That is, we, because winning means full recognition of of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. And then the question mark says, (laughs) question mark questions how this will will work,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: right? And in this title for me even though you know it 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 it's always uh, a point of discussion which i think is which i i think is great um but i always think back to audre lord's uh, the end of her uh, age race class and sex women re- redefining difference mm-hmm. when i think of this and both in this question and 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 that is when she says um she's uh, we're at the edge of each other's battles and if we lose someday, women's blood will congeal upon a dead planet, right? So that question of losing—if we don't win—that's not a, for my respondents uh, and and friends in Cuba, that's that's not a that's not a possibility. Mm-hmm. That is this this con, this losing means going back to the battle days, which means not having this recognition of full humanity. But. The real venceremos, the real we will win, um, goes back to the end of, of of this this piece where she says, if we win, there's no telling, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So we don't, we don't mm-hmm. really know what that looks like. We seek beyond history, she says, for a new and more possible meeting, mm-hmm. which seems to me to really resonate with uh, with with revolutionary revolutionary rhetorics in Cuba, and the work of uh, of Cuban, Cuban poets like Nancy Morijón and, and Nicolás Guillén uh, and the work of hip-hop uh, performance artists like Las Cruz, right, who are envisioning something that uh, that Fidel et al. Uh, did not imagine, that is something beyond that, which I think, you know, if I could sit and talk to Fidel and Raúl, et cetera, that they would agree that that's part of part of the revolutionary struggle is that at some point the vision becomes wider
2: Mhm what is for you the primary uh point or set of points that you want uh readers to get from your book?
0: That's the gotcha question right
2: That's,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the question that uh that should have been should have been really glaringly obvious in the introduction. That I that I, I, I don't think I make glaringly obvious. Um, I think that, uh, that that there are a couple, and they're on a couple of levels. One is on a sort of an academic, uh, scholarly level, and I think that I have a, a section that I call sort of scholarly minefields uh, in the introduction that talks about um, the fact that in order to do this work. Um, I've had to uh, see it now. It's called Scholarly Crossroads, Scholarly Crossroads, and Political Minefields. So, um, one of the interventions is around interdisciplinary scholarship,
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: and this book tries to make interventions in a lot of in a lot of scholarly fields and i used to joke with people that this this book would uh piss off just about everybody right? <laughs> because on on in some levels uh it says to latin americanists uh look you've not considered uh you you've, you've not, con- not considered uh blackness in latin america adequately and of course this is you know um uh, with exception to the fabulous work that has that has come out very recently uh, but still, under under theorized, still this reproduction of a mestizo subject constantly in this work, and also looking to um, looking to Cuban to Cuban studies to say that there is um, there is a world to discover beyond the sort of uh, facile arguments about whether Fidel is or is not the devil, <laughs> or whether or not um, whether or not Cuba has, whether or not Cuba has cured racism, right? Mm-hmm. That that there that there's a lot more to discover, and that we ought to uh, uh, we ought to ought to engage this in a really serious way, with without these sort of skirmishes between um, on either sides of either side of the of the Florida Straits, and to say to to Black Studies. Um, You know, following a lot of uh, important folks who've done work in Black queer studies, that um, one of the one of the key ways to uh, to continue and expand the project of Black studies, diaspora studies, African American studies, however people want to Africana studies, however they want to configure this, is is to take seriously uh, categories of deviance that include. Uh, that include queerness, that include people who are not the sort of ideal, um, de-sexed, clean, respectable mm-hmm. subjects, right? Mm-hmm. And this is an argument, of course, that Kathy Cohen has made in her deviance as, as resistance. But I want you know want to push this uh, push this forward here in this way. And an- another one is is around the the import. Of looking uh, looking really closely at what uh, what black resistance is, what does it mean to resist uh, and what are the various what are the various forms of this right? lots of lots of scholars have done have done work on this in a theoretical way but i 'd like to I'd, I'd like to push and invite us to do more work on this that uh, with on the ground uh, on the ground research to see what people are doing in their in their daily in their daily lives, and then another one of the interventions I think is also about um, re-examining in anthropology, for example, re-examining the uh, the gifts right that were that were brought to anthropology in the in the 80s. That is around reflexive work around work that insists that we not write ethnographies as, as if we are uh, flies on the wall or mm-hmm. omniscient, you know, omniscient seers, right, that uh, work that does not center the author, but that uh, that lets the readers see perhaps ways in which the author is complicit in meaning-making on the ground. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: Um, and for you know, following the Decolonizing Anthropology uh, move, and uh, Decolonizing Anthropology is a, a very important collection uh, edited by the anthropologist Faye Harrison that pushed us also to recognize the ways in which black anthropologists have a very particular and important role to play in uh, in the new anthropology. And one of the things that, that – I argue in this book it's not explicitly argued but I think it's it's argued through the way that I write the ethnography is that there's no way that I could have um, could have had access to the places and people that I had access to and the stories and the, the feeling that we created together if I were you know sort of differently configured mm-hmm. right? that all mm-hmm. of us as, as ethnographers uh, we do our work with our bodies
3: mm-hmm.
0: right and so um, if we want to know, um, if we, we, we want to know something, then it's important that we send a variety of people with a variety of experiences and a way, ways of experiencing what happens on the ground uh, who are recognized by people on the ground in various ways. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, one of the things in terms of Latin American uh, work on sexuality in Latin America that, that I discovered that I don't write in the book, which is sort of, um, I think, perhaps implicit and... Uh, and between the lines is that you know being uh being a twenty something uh, black man a gay black man among twenty something um gay black and other men in Cuba uh meant that I had access to spaces and people and conversations. That I would not have today, for example, even you know, a couple of years. <laughs> I won't tell you know mm-hmm. tell how terribly old I am, but a couple of years after, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly different from uh, the experience of a of a 24 year old uh, or 27 year old black man uh, in Cuba talking about sex uh, to another 20 something year old black man is very different. From having a fifty-year-old white man who lives in a beautiful apartment somewhere on the other on the other side of town talking to, for example, uh, sex workers about sex work,
2: and of course, in your in your in your monograph, it isn't only men that that you describe yeah. and talk about. Um, you you do talk about uh, women as well.
0: Yes, one of the one of the things it was very important to me uh, in terms of doing the. The research for the, the new research for the book outside of the, the dissertation uh, to go back and talk to uh, talk to more of the women that I had uh, developed developed relationships with and to have the book be about uh, women and women with women and women with men and men with men and men with women and various mm-hmm. recombinant uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> recombinant groups of that and so uh, I do try to. Um, I do try to give a uh, – to give a broad sort of view of what's happening on the ground with these groups of people that, that I'm dealing with. And this is – there's a, one of the, the chapters in which I talk about uh, these nascent parties of uh, – uh, women's parties is that I was uh, – my access to that party um, was facilitated by my friendship with lesbians. hmm um, and the party that I talk about specifically in the book is one in which, uh, I was one of maybe three men with, I don't know, maybe 60 women, uh, or more at the, at the, at that time,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, but at the same time, if, uh, if for example, uh, you know, a colleague, you know, a colleague who is was also a, a woman or who, um, who is also a lesbian might have a very different or certainly will have a very different entree to that um to that scene.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and since we've since we've uh, uh crept into the particularities, uh would you mind reading a, a passage for us? Yeah,
0: actually I'll I'll read that I'll read that piece about the uh about the the party um and the section the section is named after there are throughout the book a uh, uh, of references to to the music um, of that moment uh, that we were listening to and and which you know I continue to listen to and so this section is called uh you know uh you know me anaye which is um, unlike no other which is a song by uh by a popular a popular uh, Chilenga, uh, timba band called uh, bambaleo uh, excuse me i had never before been to this section of Havana which sits just beyond Miramar where avenues widen and homes seem no worse for the revolutionary wear. The collective taxi I was riding in with Yanires stopped a few blocks away from her friend Marilisa's home, and we carefully extricated ourselves from the crowded Chevy full of Cubans on their way to visit family members or to do other business on this late Sunday afternoon. We or I had thought of splurging on a tourist taxi since my first trip to the women's party was a special occasion. Yarnidius usually preferred to use peso-friendly Cuban transportation, even though it was often slow and always crowded. In my case, it was much—in any case, it was much cheaper to ride in a collective taxi where we listened to the hushed conversations and occasional raucous entertaining banter, especially on longer trips or when the driver was feeling particularly gregarious. I kept my comments to a minimum, since, after all, I was passing as Cuban. Yanidis and her friends agreed that rolling up in a taxi was not very respectful of my Lisa, since the interest of her neighbors would certainly be piqued by a number of taxis arriving on a late Sunday afternoon to be discreet therefore my crew thought it would be best to walk the last few blocks to her place still i wondered what the neighbors would think of the fact that they had not been invited to the party and that all but a few of the guests were women this party five years before the advent of the popular and Milagros or the fiesta de humo or the fiesta de barbura seems now years later to have been a kind of dry run for the women's parties that have become very popular. Indeed, they have even undercut the popularity of the men's parties since they are often closer to the city and therefore more economical for Cubans to attend. Of course, like the 20 peso parties, the venue changes each time with those in the know using a telephone number circulated among friends in order to get the address. We ascended the stairs to be greeted by a striking woman whose long-fitted dress and short cropped hair made me think of Vanya from the tinder band Bambaleo. As we entered the room, Isaac Delgado's El Caroon de Chocolate was blasting from one small floor speaker, and the dance floor was alive. Five or six couples were twirling, undulating, and laughing. Some sang along with the coro, Tengo el Chocolate, Papi. At the center of the floor, a circle of women had captured everyone's attention with their hip-shakes and shudders. The gorgeous Vanya lookalike at the door was Marilisa's girlfriend at the moment, and it was she who had organized the event and now collected the entry fee and warmly greeted everyone at the door. Somewhere between what people were used to seeing as feminine and what they expect of Butch, she stood, confidently, apparently taking particular joy in multitasking. She sang the quarto to the song, shifted her shoulders, shook, and rolled her hips. Molded the money, smiled, and chatted up the guests. In that two story home on the outskirts of Havana, in this room with stripped floors and very little furniture, we witnessed a party alive and pulsing with loud music, good food, and beautiful black women in various combinations of dress, complexions, hairstyles, and economic backgrounds. Like were rules in Cuba for women's party wear, some wore it in bandeau tops with high waisted shorts, jeans, or short skirts. And others in shifts that grazed or passionately embraced their bodies, but most, no matter what the style, wore it as if it were makeup, an application of color over the skin. It served as more than mere covering. Or clothing, flowered polyester or even cotton shifts and sleeveless shirts were worn by the more modest, with a leotard or tights underneath. At this party, distinctions between butch and femme seemed less apparent at first, at least to me than those between class groups. Of course, I was far from the intended audience of the women present. Still, the women drinking beer out of bottles and cans, talking the most and the loudest, and wearing pants, collared shirts, and sneakers, Oxford shoes, or hiking boots made their butch presence felt. A few could afford to accessorized liberally, and others like the vast majority of Cubans had to keep a basic repertoire of one pair of shoes for going out and something to wear for every day, and one good outfit for very special parties and other occasions, which is handled with great care. One party-goer told me that it would therefore be foolish for a woman, no matter how but she was, to use her meager resources to buy things that she would wear only to these parties. The fiesta seemed to intensify when the DJ played Yona know, Yo no me parezco a nadie, unlike no other. The title is more than apt. Here at the party, a long woman with long curly hair and small stud earrings pulls another party guest onto the dance floor, and the two of them get their life. The first woman's footwork, stomping each step in her rounded toe hiking boots, and her manner of staring off seriously into the distance as she leads and spins her partner, betrays the flirty femme shirt she wears tellingly worn oversized and buttoned over a tight leotard-like T-shirt. For her part, the other woman moves wherever her partner will have her move, smiling and laughing as the dust gets faster and changed direction. First three to the left, then four to the right, to the side then under the arm, a move that was pulled off elegantly even though the dance lead was a few inches shorter than her partner. As the typical timber break comes, all horns blaring and piano banging at the same time until the timbales and clave change beat again, the long-haired woman lets go of her partner's hand to step up close to her. She shudder-shakes as the other woman rolls her waist with her hands on her hips, moving up and down with her legs astride, toes nearly on point in the flowered Chinese slippers that were so popular then. Rounded toe boots are planted firmly, shoulder length apart. As Vanya sings the command, entonces empújalo, so push it. Arms go up and fists are shoulder height. The long-haired woman's shoulders are stiff as her chest, stomach, and ass shake and shudder powerfully. The coro begins. high hat strike, and her partner holds on, closer. Slowing her balletic grind in halftime of the clave, she is syncopated with the piano. The party goes up. A room full of women swoon. Finally, a smile comes from the long-haired mulata, who has seemingly commanded this so well. She is obviously enthralled by the graceful femme. She's got her now, my friend DeMora says. Pretty flowered slippers perfectly positioned for plie, the femme rolls up to her partner's betrayed, delicate blouse, down those loose fitting jeans, putting her hands tentatively on her partner's thighs, then up again, lets them rest on her shoulders and whispers something in her studded ear. The music continues, and they move steadily. Step, stomp, one, two, three, turn, roll, four, five, six. The stomping woman tucks in her blouse-cum jersey and rolls the cap sleeves into her undershirt. Smile, three, four, stomp, step, one, two, turn. The new intimate friend of the now-tucked woman takes her partner's long curly hair, smooths it and ties it in a makeshift bun at the nape of her neck. I, my friend Dolores says, <laughs> rapidly snapping her fingers in the air. Imagine that. It's like that. And everyone in our corner, standing close to the DJ, changing a stack of burned or pirated CDs on a makeshift table, giggles. Perhaps it's a joke. The DJ switches unceremoniously to Los Van Este te pone la cabeza mala. This will make your head bad. It'll make you crazy and then the redressed dancer laughs innocently. We finally see her teeth as she opens her mouth wide, then a bit shy, whispers something to a partner and takes her off to a corner where they stayed for much of the night between repeat performances. Dance is serious play. Humans take learning how to dance and express oneself with another person on the dance floor as an important matter, though many of my respondents would disagree that it is learned at all. The courting dance at this party, a sort of butch femme pas de deux, did not go unnoticed by the admiring crowd. The initial and apparent success of the dance floor icebreaker challenged and emboldened other women in the room, some who looked butch and others who did not. Some led, some followed, and others did neither. Sitting there in a the suburb of Havana, watching and trying to be unassuming, mostly unsuccessfully, as one of only a few men, and one of the people entranced by the ballet to which we were treated, I thought of Audrey and Africady in a brick-framed house in Queens, Mm. quote, dancing with her, I felt who I was and where my body was going, and that feeling was more important to me than any lead or follow. Mm. In making friends in spaces like this one in the life, sweat pouring, horns blaring, and bodies moving… One can begin to melt away the thick carapace of learned alienation from our desires and from each other it is a catalyst for the creation of community
2: very beautiful you know you have the craft of a novelist
0: well thank you that that, that really means uh, really means a, a lot to me and uh, I think one of the the other one of the uh, the points that I, that I uh, trying to make—I don't know if I'm trying to make the point—but just doing my work with the with the voices and the training that I've received, <clears throat> this is very important. That is that you know when I'm writing and when I'm thinking, the the theorists that I'm responding to are are Audre Lorde, and they are and Toni Morrison mm-hmm. and Toni Caden Bambara and James Baldwin and Marlon Riggs mm-hmm. and Sylvester. You know and Larry Levan, that is that the theorists that I'm referring to are not all those that are that are approved in the academy, but these are the people who have i think most incisively theorized these moments of becoming
3: mm-hmm. or who
0: have shown us how specifically black people and queer people and poor people have um have become and are in this this movement, and a lot of this comes from uh from from poetry um, and from uh, and from creative writing. I mean, mm-hmm. the people that I that I talk to, uh, you know, on a daily basis are people like Marvin K. White, who is, <clears throat> for me, the inheritor <clears throat> of, of the the mantle that that Essex Temple left for us, right? Um, and and uh, R. E. Jones, who is a friend from. Way back when when we were at Spellman, I said that again we were at Spellman. I was at Morehouse, not at Spellman, even though i did try to, <laughs> <laughs> i did try to transfer uh and uh Dr. Cole was not having that uh, but that is that um you know this is i think um uh it, it is in it is a book of it's an ethnography it's a book mm-hmm. of anthropology but this yes. is an african americanist work um and as african americanists we are um we are grounded in this um in this discipline that tacks back and forth between uh between disciplines yes um, and between forms and you know one of the highest compliments that I can get is to um is is to be told that that there's a that you can hear some you can hear some of that in there right that you can you can hear the fact that that i'm i'm reading uh, I'm, I'm I'm reading orgy Lord and this this piece is, is is very much an homage to the beginning of uh, to uh, to the Africati portion of her zami mm-hmm, um and there mm-hmm. are other, other pieces where you'll well you'll hear where i have shamelessly um <laughs> I've, I've shamelessly not ripped off because it is attributed but uh, shamelessly copied my friend Sharon Bridgeforth, mm-hmm, right it mm-hmm. it's, it's it's in there because it has to
2: be. Yeah, you use the the one of the phrases when she says uh, a whole lot of shit is liable to happen. Yeah, and that <laughs> is, you, you know, Sharon and I had a long, discuss- <laughs> long discussion about that because of this, this moment of how do we how do
0: we theorize these spaces in the life um that are not only theoretical spaces or spiritual spaces but literal places where people end up.
3: Mm-hmm. that are queer mm-hmm. and and
0: this goes back to your this this notion of queer and in queer straight that queer can be that is the juke joint this place that she imagines in in her work in her work is a place where um is a place where there is sexual intrigue with people who are very gendered variously and may have sex with people in various recombinant groups of who's having sex with whom depending upon and she says um there are there are men's women's, mm-hmm. some who are both, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some who are neither mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that for me is a, an incisive <laughs> an incisive theoretical statement right, right, and this is a space she says where a whole lot of shit is liable to happen, yeah. that is that this is a space of people who have been who have been hurt and disallowed for whom there is no uh, there is no real home, and they're making their home in places where there's liquor <laughs> and there's music and there is a feeling of at least momentary belonging conditional belonging right um and these are spaces also where there's a lot of uh, perhaps illegal stuff happening and even some illegal stuff for even the way people are dressed right and we could think of times in in the US for example when uh, or even stonewall right in new york uh in new york in the 60s and 70s and before uh you had to be wearing at least three appropriate, uh, uh, three pieces of attire appropriate to uh, to your assigned sex,
3: hmm.
0: right? And so, the spaces where someone, uh, someone who is different, who is a gender insurgent, goes is automatically a space of illegality just because of the way that they're dressed, right? Right. right. So a whole lot of shit is liable to happen. The police are liable to come. Or this is a liable. This is a place where the police may not come if something goes on. Goes on, and you actually need them. Right. Um, and we don't have. Uh, you know, those of us who are working on 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 Black queer studies have begun to do uh, to do this work to investigate this. But um, looking at you know our predecessors, the people who have done this work are uh, the people who have done this work are poets and novelists. And activists, and filmmakers, and visual artists.
2: Right. right. You know, we're running out of time, and there's so many more questions that I have for you. I, I, we're just going to have to uh, have a time where I just call you up and, and chat, <laughs> just Let's chat with you. Um, I I wanted to ask and get you to talk about one of the most fascinating um, subjects um, in the book, um, for me at least, uh, which was Octavio uh yeah oh, yes and 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 his um female name uh Lily 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 yeah that is very fascinating and the relationship uh, you know in the community and and how that gets played out especially when he comes uh out so to speak um mm. with with mm. the dress on the street but since the cover is the first thing that readers encounter can you tell us about this really rich picture oh, um, on the, on the front coverage. I mean, it's completely fascinating.
0: Absolutely. You know, you know, the the adage is that you can't judge a book by its cover, but I really wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I really would not mind at all if people judge this book by this, this, this gorgeous cover by my friend, Renee Pena. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that this is a, you know, I say in the acknowledgements that it was a dream come true in 1998. Uh, on my first trip to, uh, to Cuba in 1998, I went to, a, uh, uh, to visit the Ludwig Foundation, which is uh, uh, one of the very few, at that point, um, the only independent gallery uh, on the island. And um, I saw uh, a show with Rene Pena, and this, uh, this photograph was there. He's one of the most uh, important uh, contemporary Cuban artists and uh he most of his photographs he stages um his own body and so that's Rene pena uh in costume in, ah, uh, in the shot okay and i think that um just uh looking at this photo and sort of meditating on it from 1998 really influenced me in a number of ways and you know uh renee and i have not talked very much about about his intention and i think that that's probably good because you know, I, I like my <laughs> like my, my reading of this, that he's sitting there in sort of white face, sort of blue face, mm-hmm. um, and he's sitting with a cup of tea and in a pose that I would describe as slightly effeminate or mm-hmm. effeminate, and he's gazing on a table um, where there are tarot cards and regular playing cards, a teacup. Um, a sort of apothecary or, or a sort of chemistry-type beaker with some mysterious thing in it, a couple light bulbs, uh, chicken eggshells, and pearls. And so that is – one of the things that, that I saw this is, is sort of reflecting on um, a lot of – are left with after um After the revolution and after the special period and after the rectification movement and after uh uh after independence and after slavery that is there are a number of these elements that are on the table that uh that they can use to figure out to divine their future mm, how nice. we're going to win what the future is and that's 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 what I see. Um, that's what I see on this this cover. Is uh, you know I'm, I'm thinking of of that figure as a representative of all of my respondents, uh, queer uh, you know queer in various ways, mm-hmm. um, you know calmly and elegantly perhaps uh, looking down and to see you know how we will win, where this larger freedom is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And beside that, I just think it's—I think it's gorgeous, and that's you know that is a reason in itself <laughs> in, in my book.
2: Um, but I, I would—I I would completely concur. Yeah. So tell us what you're working on now. Well, what am I working on now?
0: I'm, I'm looking at my my desk now, and it it, it tells the <laughs> tells the story of what I'm working on now. Uh, but um, the major the major project that I'm working on now is a is a new is a new book project which right now I'm calling Black Queer Here and There. And that has, um, and the subtitle is Movement and Sociality in the Americas, and that has two parts. And one part, uh, I'm doing case studies of uh, of activist organizations dealing with uh, sexual orientation uh, discrimination uh, in the Caribbean. and in another part of the book I'm talking about uh travel uh one chapter on on uh upper middle class black men in tourism another one on on how uh how the black body is framed in uh in pornography and in um in pornography and in legitimate art mm. uh by and uh Representing uh, queer Black people, and um, another piece that is around um, around how how migration and travel is imagined in the works of, of, of Black queer uh, writers and activists and artists. And so it's been a it's been a really um, a, a really fantastic uh, beginning to this this research to have spent time. In the past couple of years, in Barbados and Guyana and Brazil, um, and also in uh, the book, it says uh, in the Americas, but also in London, uh, and uh, doing some archival work at the Schomburg, also. And so it's it's right now in, in formation. But the the questions that I'm that I'm I'm looking to answer is um, you know, what what difference, uh, for example. Um, queerness makes or, or blackness makes in these struggles, uh, if any, and how uh, at play uh, by queer people uh, what we can learn from, uh, from, from, from travel and tourism, for example, uh, what we can learn when we look at people who move back and forward between spaces in black diaspora instead of merely looking at, um,
2: at one space. Mm-hmm. When those uh, book projects come out, I hope to uh, have you back on the show um, I
0: would, I would, to discuss I would
2: those. To. <laughs> well, thank you, Jafari Allen, for discussing Vincent Amos, The Erotics of Black Self-Making in Cuba, published by uh, Duke University Press.
1: Um, and have a good day.
0: Thank you so much. Take care.
1: I hope you enjoyed our discussion today with Jafari S. Allen, the author of Venceremos, The Erotics of Black Self-Making in Cuba, published by Duke University Press in 2011. What I personally gleaned from this lively and personable interchange with Jafari is that blackness is not merely located in the US, that it is diasporic and global, and that there is a connection among black politics around the world, and that we should pay keen attention to it. So I hope that you will go out and get Vincent Amos, read it, teach it if you're a professor, and share it with your friends.